Welcome to House of David Ministries. I'm Pastor Eric Michael Teitelman. Join me as we learn about the rich heritage of our Christian faith. In each episode, we explore a unique topic that will deepen your knowledge of Christ and who we are as His people. In this episode, we will discover the mystery of the olive tree that the Apostle Paul spoke about in Romans 11. Now Paul said, For if you were cut out of the olive tree, which is wild by nature, and were grafted contrary to nature into a cultivated olive tree, how much more will these, who are natural branches, be grafted into their own olive tree? I do not want you to be ignorant of this mystery, brothers and sisters, so that you may not be conceited. Israel has experienced a hardening in part until the full number of the Gentiles has come in. And in this way, all Israel will be saved, as it is written. The Deliverer will come out of Zion. He will turn away godlessness away from Jacob. And this is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. Now, Paul's imagery of a cultivated olive tree and the mystery he reveals about the partial hardening of Israel's heart is one of the more complex passages of the New Testament. It raises many questions. For example, why did God harden Israel's heart in the first place? And what is meant by a partial hardening? And how does all of this eventually lead to Israel's salvation? Now, God's ultimate desire and purpose has always been to dwell in the midst of his creation. He has sought a dwelling place in which his presence could be revealed in the nethermost levels within this spiritually dark world that presently conceals his godliness. Now, the key word here is revealed. The root of the word is revelation, and which is used to describe the supernatural disclosure to humanity of something divine that had been previously hidden or concealed. For this reason, Paul said, I do not want you to be ignorant of this mystery. Now, regarding the creation, God is concealed from it, and he has chosen to reveal himself incrementally throughout the generations, first to Abraham, then to Isaac, to Jacob, and Moses, and thereafter to all of Israel at Mount Sinai. But even Moses could not see God's face. As it says in Exodus 33, the Lord said, Then I will take away my hand, and you shall see my back, which in Hebrew is achorai, and it suggests the hinder or external aspects of God's divinity. But the Lord said to Moses, But my face shall not be seen. And in Hebrew, face is panai or panaimut, suggesting the frontal or inward aspect of God's divinity. So the full revelation of God was yet to come through the Messiah of Israel. So when the Israelites encountered the living God in the wilderness, many of the children of Israel rejected the Lord and rebelled against him, even after hearing the Lord's voice and seeing his glory on Mount Sinai. The Lord therefore made a promise that none of that generation would enter the land of Israel or his eternal rest. So from that time forward, the presence of God was concealed within the tabernacle of Moses and later in the temple in Jerusalem. The Lord said in Deuteronomy 31, And I will surely hide my face, my inward essence, 
in that day because of all the evil which they have done in that they have turned to other gods. Now Moses pleaded with the Lord, saying that Israel could not enter the land without his presence. And in response, the Lord placed a veil between his glory and his people and sent his angel to walk before them. Sadly, there was a separation between God and his people. But we will see how this would ultimately serve for Israel's preservation. The Lord told Moses that no person could see his face and live. And what the Bible is saying is that God did not make a path of salvation for anyone who has been enlightened, meaning anyone who has seen God's inward essence and still continues to reject him. This was the same judgment set for the angels who followed Satan. And the Bible tells us there is no path of redemption for those who have seen God and still choose darkness. Now, many of Israel's prophets received visions and dreams from the Lord or were visited by angels, including the angel of the Lord. Isaiah saw the Lord sitting high upon a throne. This was not the case for the rest of Israel, who relied on the testimony of the prophets. There is a great difference between apprehension of God through wisdom and knowledge, which enables us to grasp the external essence of God, and prophetic apprehension, where, for example, Moses saw God's back and received a glimmer of the Lord's inward essence. The Jewish sages go on to say that a wise man is superior to a prophet because he has believed and understood that which he has not seen. And this affirms the words of Yeshua when he said in John 20, Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Yet the Lord promised that Israel would be to him a kingdom of priests, a holy nation of those who have seen the inward essence of God. The term seeing, with regards to prophecy, appears in a metaphorical sense and does not necessarily imply that any of these prophets physically saw the Lord with their earthen eyes. Their prophetic vision refers to a type of seeing that allowed them to comprehend God on a spiritual level, and again differs greatly from someone who has merely heard about the Lord. From the time of Moses to Yeshua's death on the cross, all those in Israel would rest on the promises contained within the covenant of faith made with Abraham, and to the grace offered through the temporary sacrifices officiated through the Mosaic Covenant. Israel believed what they had heard but had not seen. When God established the Mosaic Covenant with Israel, it could not override God's earlier covenant faith with Abraham. Nor could the law of Moses ever establish its own means of righteousness and salvation through the works of the law. The works of the Mosaic law remain in the works of our own human efforts. As it says in Galatians chapter 2, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. Even we have believed in Jesus Christ, that we might be justified by faith in Christ, and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law, no flesh shall be justified. Only those under the law who believed in the God whom they could not see, and by their obedience of faith to accept and observe the law, were imputed God's righteousness and were destined for eternal life. This is what the scripture calls the law of faith. When Yeshua died on the cross, he paid the price for all sin, once and for all time. He then preached to the dead and freed all the righteous saints who had been held captive in Shoel, the place of the dead. 
These had been temporarily preserved and comforted in the bosom of Abraham. Those in Sheol who saw and believed in Yeshua, because they had already believed by faith in his salvation, were immediately saved and brought into the kingdom. But those still alive of the generation who saw Yeshua and rejected their Messiah, God cursed and promised that they would also not enter his eternal rest. Hence the symbolism of the withered fig tree, which was a picture of that fallen generation in Israel. Now Yeshua later spoke of a time when the fig tree would once again become tender and put forth leaves, meaning that Israel would again believe in the Lord's salvation. He said in Matthew 24, when it's the fig tree's branch has already become tender and puts forth leaves, you know that summer is near. We know and trust that God will reveal himself again to Israel. Until that time, Yeshua is concealed in heaven at the right hand of the Father, where no man can see him. The Lord's Holy Spirit remains with us to teach and bring to remembrance all that Yeshua spoke. And yet it is only a deposit of his greater divine imminence that he will reveal to us. It says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, I has not seen, nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. And Paul said this about Israel in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, Their minds were blinded, for until this day the same veil that covers their eyes remains unlifted in the reading of the Old Testament because the veil is taken away in Christ. And in Romans chapter 10, Paul says, For they being ignorant of God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own righteousness have not submitted to the righteousness of God. In other words, if Israel continues to blindly observe the law of Moses, even out of faith, their eyes will remain veiled to their Messiah. But once they believe, and even more importantly, once they see that Yeshua is the Christ and their Savior, the scales will fall from their eyes and they will see and know their Messiah. Yeshua, we know, is the express image of our Heavenly Father. He is the manifestation of the glory of God, which is His divine eminence and is also called the Shekhinah or the Shekinah. The word Shekhinah comes from the Hebrew word Shechen, which means to descend and rest or dwell in lowly levels. Yeshua said in Matthew 11, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. The tabernacle in Hebrew, the Mishkan, also originates from the same root word and specifically means the place of dwelling. God's promise to Israel was that he would dwell in their midst, suggesting they would all see him. As it says in Isaiah 52, the Lord has made bare his holy arm in the eyes of all the nations, and all the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of our God. God's promise to Israel was that he would dwell in their midst, suggesting they would all see him. As it says in Isaiah 52, the Lord has made bare his holy arm in the eyes of all the nations, and all the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of our God. For this purpose, the tabernacle was built to create a place for God to dwell and rest with his people. Therefore, the tabernacle is the embodiment of the Shekhinah and is considered one and the same. It says in Revelation 21, 
Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. The rabbis also correlate the Shekhinah to the word of God. Since we know that Yeshua is the word of God made flesh, he is therefore both the glory of God, his kavod, and his indwelling presence that is manifest and made visible as his Shekhinah. It says in Ezekiel 39, I will not hide my face from them anymore, for I shall have poured out my spirit on the house of Israel, says the Lord God. God's face was hidden from Israel for a season, but has now been revealed through Yeshua. The Apostle John gave witness of this revelation when he said, in John chapter 1, The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld, we saw, His glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And so therefore all who have seen Yeshua have also seen the Father. Yeshua said to Israel in Matthew chapter 5, One jot or one tittle will by no means pass from the law till all is fulfilled. So we can conclude that until Christ returns to the earth to establish his kingdom in Jerusalem, Israel remains under the covenant of faith that was made with Abraham. But they also remain under the judgment of the Mosaic covenant and the veil that comes from trying to fulfill the law of Moses through their own human effort. Just like those who lived before the birth and death of Yeshua, it is still possible for an Israelite today to have faith in God through the covenant with Abraham. But they cannot know God intimately because the veil that comes through the law of Moses prevents them from seeing their Savior. Yeshua is the fulfillment of the covenant with Abraham, which is the covenant of faith that is consummated through the law of faith and the literal fulfillment of the Mosaic Covenant. This means that we believe in God's law of substitutionary atonement and the propitiation that Yeshua made for us on the cross. As it says in Romans chapter 10, For whoever calls by faith on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Those who believe in Yeshua become purified from their sin and are promised everlasting life. We receive the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit and intimacy with our Heavenly Father in a way that was not possible before Christ came. Therefore, an Israelite who accepts Yeshua has not necessarily converted to Christianity per se, but has converted to a new way of thinking. That salvation cannot come through the works of the Mosaic Law, but only through faith in the saving works of their Messiah. We do not cease to be Jews, but rather we become saved Jews who have received the promise of Abraham and are now a new creation in Christ. By faith, we believed what Christ has done when we heard what he did, even though we did not witness it ourselves. And our apprehension of Christ has come through God's divine wisdom and understanding that he has given to us. And likewise, a Gentile who accepts Yeshua is also not converting to Christianity per se, as if Christianity was somehow a new religion that was established apart from its Hebraic foundation. The Gentiles have also converted to a new way of thinking, believing by hearing that salvation only comes through the Messiah of Israel, Yeshua. 
these also become a new creation in Christ and one new man with the natural descendants of Abraham. There is only one path to salvation, which is through Yeshua. So our identity in Christ is the same. We are all adopted children of God. Yes, Israel is God's firstborn nation, but we are all his children. Now, Paul stipulates that some, but not all, of the native Israelite olive branches have been cut away. However, he also says that God can and will graft them back in again, and so this is God's sovereign will and not ours. An Israelite who remains zealous for God through his faith in the one true God will not have his sin permanently taken away until he either believes by faith in the gospel of salvation or at an appointed time receives and accepts the visible revealing, the revelation of Yeshua. And since the Lord chooses the time of his revelation, we know that regarding Israel, it is tied to the fullness or full number of the Gentiles coming into the kingdom of God. Israel's partial hardening, therefore, implies that they are hardened towards part of the Godhead, which is their Messiah, but not all of the Godhead. And this explains why they can remain zealous for the God of Israel by believing in the one whom they have not seen. Yet they will not be washed of their sins, nor have intimate knowledge of who he is until they have received his full revelation, until they see Yeshua. And again, for this reason, Paul says in Romans chapter 10, For I bear them witness, witness of Yeshua, telling them what he saw, that they have a zeal for God, but not according to inward knowledge. Inward in Hebrew again is panai or panemut, suggesting the frontal or inward aspect of God's divinity. And if an Israelite were to receive the full revelation of Yeshua and continue to reject him, they also would be permanently cut off like the generation in the wilderness. Just the same, an Israelite can hear the word of God and believe in their Messiah, whom they have not seen. Those who presently accept Yeshua will be taken as first fruits to the Lord and will make the entire remnant of Israel holy. As Abraham is the root of the olive tree, his imputed righteousness nourishes all the branches and makes them all holy. The cultivated olive tree is spiritually a picture of the great assembly called the ecclesia, or kahal in Hebrew. This universal church is comprised of Israel and the nations of the earth joined to her as one people of God. So here is the revealed mystery of the olive tree, that the partial hardening of Israel's heart was not to eternally condemn nor to annihilate God's chosen nation but to preserve a remnant of the Jewish people according to his grace through the covenant of faith he made with Abraham. God is seeking a remnant of Israel who by reading the Torah, the books of Moses, the Bible, would remain zealous for him. Yet by partially hardening their hearts to Yeshua, God has prevented all Israel from rejecting his inward essence and divine imminence, his Shekhinah. Now, one day the Lord is going to do something great in the midst of his people. At his appointed time, Israel will be given the revelation, the sight of her Messiah. As the Lord said in Zechariah chapters 9 and 12, Then the Lord will be seen over them, and his arrow will go forth like lightning, 
and I will pour on the house of David and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and supplication. Then they will look on me whom they pierced. Yes, they will mourn for him as one mourns for the death of his only son and grieve for him as one grieves for the death of a firstborn. At that time, the true Israel, being the true children of the divine promise, will see their Messiah whom they rejected and lay bare when they condemned him to be crucified, and they will repent and be saved. If the Lord had fully hardened their hearts, they would not even be able to repent and their eternal fate would have become like Pharaoh. The Lord has promised to show his mercy to Israel and he has also promised to reveal his salvation to the whole world. As it says in Isaiah chapter 14, the Lord will have mercy on Jacob and will still choose Israel and settle them in their own land. The strangers will be joined with them and they will cling to the house of Jacob. The Lord has also promised to make a new covenant with Israel and this time writing his laws in their minds and on their hearts so that all Israel shall be saved, these being the true seed of Abraham who have believed by faith and received the revelation by visibly seeing their resurrected Messiah who is the inward essence and manifest glory of our Heavenly Father. Amen. If you have enjoyed this teaching from House of David Ministries, make sure you subscribe to our channel and don't forget to visit our website where you can sign up for our monthly newsletter. We pray the Lord richly bless you and we look forward to having you join us again for our next episode.